Amen. Well, it's good to be here. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a minute, just get up, say hi to someone around you, just say, I wish them, they say they look fresh today or something, whatever you want to tell them today, they look good, fam. Just take a minute, get up, say hi to somebody next to you, give them an elbow bump, give them an elbow bump, say how you doing today, good to see you, good to see you, Jonathan. Mary has chosen what is better in 
Matthew, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things. Somebody say all things. You don't got to stress about the other things. God's going to add them unto you. You just seek his kingdom and his righteousness for and everything else. All things are going to come your way as he makes provision for you because you prioritized his presence. It's amazing what he does. It's incredible what he does. When you prioritize his presence, his provision always has a foundation to land on every single time. Just seek him. Just seek him. And so today we're going to be talking about stepping out, how to overcome spiritual barriers that keep us from being the salt and the light. Are you ready? Are you ready for this one? How to overcome spiritual barriers. So here we go. What is salt and what is light? In the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We're going to look at that. Thank you for holding it down there, Paige. Come on, come on. She rocking it, she rocking it. So what is a salt and a light? Salt in the Bible is symbolic of three different things, all right? So if you're taking notes, we got those little notebooks out. We can keep taking those notes out. Here we go. Salt is symbolic of judgment. Judgment in the OT, in the Old Testament. This is also from, this is from the Gospel of Mark, but look what it says. It's talking about in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. It says here, talking about the causes for people, why people sin in, and, and, and it says you should cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin. Now, we know that's, that's a hyperbole, right? It's not literally saying to cut off your hand if you're sinning, but it's saying you should do everything you can to run and flee from sin in your life. You know, if your eyes are causing you to sin, pluck them out because it's better for you to lose your sight than for you to be thrown, everything to be thrown in Gehenna and hell. It's better for you to lose your hand than to be thrown into the eternal flame. In other words, you should do everything you can to rid and get sin and cut sin out of your life because the soul and the body is so much more important, right, to be saved forever. So then it says you're talking about uh, cutting out your eye. Ooh, it's, 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 it's gory. You know, the Bible's gory. Did you know that? It's like rated R. It's like an R-rated movie, right? But we just we teach it to the kids. I don't know. It's some of this stuff is rated R. Everyone, it says in verse forty-nine. Check this out. Look at this. Everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. So in this context, it says everyone will be salted with fire. So salt is, is in some sense, it's a symbol of judgment. And then I think of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, right? And I think about when Lot and his wife, right, were fleeing, right? And what happened, Lot's wife looked back and she was turned into what? A pillar of salt. So salt is in some ways, it's indicative of, of judgment and Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. And then it's also, in the Bible, it's seen as a preservative. A preservative. So salt was used... And when it was rubbed into meat, a little salt would slow the decay of the meat. And so salt cannot lose its saltiness, obviously, because it's sodium chloride. But what's interesting is that it's, it's a stable compound. But most salt in the ancient world derived, check this out, derived from salt marshes, right? Or, or like, rather than uh, evaporation of salt water. But these this salt marshes, they contained impurities in the salt, so the actual salt being more soluble than impurities could be leached out, leaving a residue so dilute that it was little of worth. Right? This is from these salt marshes. It was also used as a flavor. So it was used to season, just like we season food today. Salt was used in the ancient world to season, to flavor, and it was also used as a fertilizer. So it's some weird stuff that they used it as, right? But this is the question today. What things are keeping me from being salt. So in other words, how, what things are keeping me from being a preservative? 
And when Jesus uses the, the term salt, he's talking about how are, how are believers, how are they preserving the, 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 the culture of the kingdom in the, in the earth today? How are they preserving the culture of, of, of the way of Jesus, the heaven, heaven's culture, heaven's kingdom? How are they preserving that for the here, for the now, in this earth, right? Jesus, his, his prayer to his disciples, Father, I, he's praying for, for their will. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. And he says, ask it, uh, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven, so so believers are are, are called. We're, we're we're called to create to preserve the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. So we're also salt is also being this this sense of of flavor. So believers are to offer. They're to bring flavor to the world. They're to bring something different, something palatable, something that's that's unique, that's seasoned, that's savory, that's good, right? And so there's different aspects to salt that you know, believers are to embody. But the question is, why aren't many of us, and I want to pose this today, why aren't many of us living the life as salt and light that God designed for us to live? And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at a few main reasons here. There's five main reasons, and we're going to pop the first one up here. These are the main reasons why we fail to be the salt and the light of the earth. Let's go. Fear of man. Fear of man. This is it. Uh, no, go back, go back, please. There we go. Let's just, we're going to stay here for a minute. What will, this is the voice of culture. What will they think of me? So the reason why I can't be the salt, the reason I can't be the light is because I got something special inside of me, I got something unique inside of me, but I'm too afraid to step out because I'm concerned about what will they think about me, what will she think about me, what will, what will, what's their opinion about me. That's more important than being the, 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 the culture of the kingdom to our world today. That's more important to me than really being in the hands and feet of Jesus because I'm more concerned about people's opinion of me than I am about ushering in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So the fear of man is going to impede us from our God-given purpose, from our God-given calling in being the salt and light of the earth. And I thought this was, this was kind of interesting because we have this. I believe that so many of us have, we're called, we're called to have a unique, uh, a, unique, we a unique purpose, a unique vocation, a unique whatever it is. Something unique to bring to the world, to offer the world. But something is impeding us. And I say that nine times out of ten, that thing is fear. And I've heard fear described like this before. False as an acronym, false evidence appearing real. Have you heard about that before? Fear, false evidence appearing real. I, I recently went on to, to CNN, and I think I showed Noel this too, where I was going through every, just kind of scrolling through, the, you know, sometimes I just get in the morning, I get on, on the news feed, I just kind of scroll through, see what's going on. And every single thing, I scroll down, every single thing, next one, every single thing on that feed was death, 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 death. I was like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. Every single thing was negative, something negative. Somebody died, she died, he died. It was like every single, I couldn't believe it. I had to screenshot it because I was just like blown away. It was all negative. And there's something about this produces fear in us because we become what we behold. So if I'm constantly beholding death and negativity, what am I going to internalize? Death and negativity. All of a sudden, I'm going to be fearful for my life. I'm going to be worried and anxious and afraid about what's happening. And so we, we have to guard the avenues of our heart's in our minds. You know, one of the most powerful prayers that you can make is to pray that, Father, I'm just asking you, Jesus, to guard the avenues of my heart and mind today. Because there's a lot of stuff that's going to come my way, and I want to filter it out through the cross. I want to filter it out through the Holy Spirit's power. Because if I behold things, right, that aren't inducive to your will, I'm going to become those things. And so, Father, guard my heart. Guard the avenues of my heart and mind. It's a powerful prayer that we can make each and every day. And I also thought about this, that the graveyard, 
is the wealthiest place on the planet. Did you know that? The graveyard is the wealthiest place on the planet. Well, what does he mean by that? The graveyard is where all of the amazing ideas, all of the amazing inventions, all of the amazing things, some of the things, some things that would just totally change the world and the way we think about the world, some of the amazing ideas that never came to fruition because somebody was too afraid to act upon them died there in the graveyard along with that person. Could you imagine some of the things, if somebody just would have said, I'm not going to put up with this fear anymore, what would have happened if they would have stepped out in faith and allowed faith to be the dictator of their lives? What would happen if they said, I'm just going to, I'm going to go and jump out and, and take this idea and just run with this idea and see what happens, and then the Tesla happens, right? Something like that happens. Something crazy happens. You go to space, something crazy happens. But just stepping out in faith, what God can do with that. And so the, the graveyard is one of the wealthiest places on the planet today. And we're asking the question, what will they think of me? Another main reason why people aren't being the salt and the light of the earth comes from inadequacy and discouragement. And this is the voice of something's wrong with me. There's something that's, that's off. There's something that's not quite right. Like I, There's something that I'm just, I'm just insufficient. I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have the, 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 the capacity or the talent or the gifting. I'm missing something. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the education, the expertise, the degrees, the energy, whatever it is, right? And so what do we do? We pile up these discouragements, and we start to just build a pile of discouragement, a pile of just inadequacy, a pile of fear. And we look at it and we say, who, who can I be? I can't do anything. I can't do anything right. And we put more faith in the lie than in the truth. Let me tell you today, there's so many lies that the enemy has spoken over your life. And some of you today, I'm going to be honest with you, you have sympathized with a lie. Some of us today are believing things that God has never spoken to you or said over you or proclaimed over you, but the enemy said something and you have sympathized with it, you have run with it, you have said that thing is right, that thing is true, that thing is honest, you have believed a lie. And some of us are great convincers at believing a thing which is false. For real. Like I used to, I used to be, a, I used to be, I'm way better now, but I used to be a hypochondriac, like major and if you're, if, you're, if you're familiar with that, you think, like, everything's going to kill you. <laughs> like, for real. You think that, you know, you have a little heart, little heart flutter. You think it's a heart attack. You think you're just stressing out. And you convince yourself in your mind that the situation is way worse than it actually is. And you believe something which isn't true. But how many of us do this in the spiritual world? We believe something that the devil has whispered in our ear. And we sympathize with it. And we just, we just saturate and dwell on it. And we believe something that is so far from true. And the third reason why we aren't being the salt and the light is that we think that we can be self-sufficient. That I can do it on my own that I can do it by myself, that I don't need anybody else, that I, I, I can do it on my own. It's about my performance. It's about what I can accomplish. It's about what I can supply, right? It's about what I can supply. But that leads to what? That's going to lead to burnout. Like if you think that it comes down to you and what you can do and on your merit and on your effort, you are going to be burnt out. You are going to be exhausted. See, because it says... Self-sufficiency, self-dependency says, I feel responsible to build my future, to manifest my destiny. I feel responsible to do it myself, but that leads to exhaustion because it's from 
overproduction. We aren't meant to be overloaded. We aren't meant to carry too much. We aren't meant to, to find all the supply. If you're constantly looking for new wells, for new sources of supply in your own strength and in your own power, you are going to run so dry so quick, you're going to burn out. And if you've ever been burnt out before, it sucks. It's literally the worst thing in the world. So there's a little preview, a little snippet in Exodus 14 about this, about the, the children of Israel. They're living in Egypt 400, they're slaves in Egypt 430 years, and it's all they ever knew. And they hated it because there was no freedom in it, and they were frustrated because the Egyptians were increasing their quotas. Check this out. The Egyptians said, we're going to make you make just as many bricks for us, but we're going to take away the straw, the supply that you're going to make it with. So you're going to need now to find the supply in your own strength and make just as many bricks. Can you imagine that? Before they thought they had a bad, but now they have to go fetch their own straw and make the same number of bricks. You're going to have to fulfill your, the same quota, but you're going to have less supply to do it with. And by the way, Egypt represents the systems of governance. Egypt represents the world. Did you know that? Egypt represents the world, and it represents the systems of the world and the cultures of this world that demand for greater production. For, for more quotas, for, for more things to do, for more things to be met. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. More to do, more to do, more to do, more to do. You have to get it done, you have to get it done, you have to get it done. More production, more production, more production. It's all about your doing and very little resting. It's about making more brick with less supply. And I thought this is exactly the season, this is exactly the culture of our Western individualized world where it's a modernized Egypt. The world says more, 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 but Jesus says enough. You can rest in me. You can experience shalom. You can experience the peace of God. You can experience the rest. Egypt represents our world today. So this is our generation of people who have gotten so used to be really self-sufficient, right? We've become really used to just becoming dependent on, on me and self and I. And so we're, we're used to never having enough because we can't do it by ourselves. We're used to being exhausted and overloaded because we're straining ourselves. We're used to fatigue and dehydration because we just keep pushing, thinking that we can do it on our own strength. We're used to bondage and slavery because we think that we can get it done. We're used to whips and lashes, and we're used to having external incentives to drive productivity and performance. We're used to all these things. And it's hard to be the salt and the light when you're used to making more bricks with less supply. It's really hard. So we're running around without enough sleep and we're used to spending money that we don't have in the bank account and we're, we're used to exerting energy that we don't have. And we're, we're, we're so much demand, right? So much demand, but so little supply. More quotas, but less supply in my hand. And then the fourth reason why many of us aren't, aren't being the salt and the light is comfort. Somebody say comfort. Comfort. I deserve to feel good. I deserve to feel I deserve just to, just to kick my feet up. I deserve just to not do nothing with them. I deserve just to take it easy. I've worked hard enough thus far. I can just take some time off and just chill and just relax. I've done enough, so I'm going to be what? I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be passive, and I'm going to be lethargic because I feel like it. And nobody can't tell me nothing. I deserve to feel this way. I thought this was really interesting because in, in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples had come across a man that was born blind. And the disciples come up to Jesus and they're, they're, they're sitting on the sideline and they're speculating and they're passive and they're comfortable, right? Having sight and being in a position of blessing. And they're looking on a man that was born blind and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Who's responsible here? They're being in a position of comfort where they can say, they can ask theological questions that really don't help anyone. Do you see that? It's amazing how we can be such in a place of passivity and comfort that we don't care about the hurt and broken person in front of us. And people are hurting and people are wounded and people are asking questions. And meanwhile, we're, just, we're speculating theology. Well, Arminianism or Calvinism? Predestination or free will? I don't know. I wonder what it is. And meanwhile, there's someone that's hurting outside. And somebody who, who's needing the healing hands of Jesus Christ. And me and you are speculating. We're speculating about a, a book and we're not living it out. And I think that true lovers of God, true lovers of God, true lovers of theology, true lovers, this thing should transform not just what you think, but transform how you live your life. If you're just so stuck and just so confused and just asking questions about what it means, but you don't understand what it means to live it, then it makes no difference. It makes no difference. Be, be what? Be not just hearers of the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do what it says. And so they're, they're asking these questions, and Jesus is saying, guys, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. You're asking the wrong question. He says, but it is necessary that we do the works of him who sent me. Right? He says, night is coming. Right? But night is coming. But while the light of the world is here, we have to do the works of him who sent me. He's saying we have to be the hands and feet. We have to heal. We have to restore. We have to mend. We have to, we have to be the light because darkness is coming. And so that should be the mentality. We shouldn't be passive, but we should be active. And so spiritual lethargy and comfort like Jonah, right? Jonah didn't want to go. God said, Jonah, I'm going to send you somewhere so you can preach a gospel of repentance to, to these people that are living in Nineveh. And Jonah said, I don't want to be uncomfortable. God, I'm not going. I'm really comfortable where I am in my position, in my boat, just chilling where I am. And he says, no, Jonah, because my people are more important than your comfort. My people are more important than you just resting. My people are more important, and they need to hear this message. And I'm sending you, and it may be uncomfortable, but it's a calling that is upon you to do. And then lastly, the, the fifth reason why many of us aren't being the salt and the light is because of opportunity opportunity this voice says i will take every opportunity in front of me that presents itself it's amazing in, a, in an age of just over information of overload right there's so many advertisements there's so many things that you could there's so much potential for your life that you could literally do whatever you wanted to do that you in the western world have access to to, to information you literally can be whatever you want to be today did you know that it's crazy that wasn't how it used to be you used to be raised in the ancient world. You used to be raised next to a farmer, and you would learn from that farmer, and they would teach you how to farm. You'd be, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be brought up next to somebody who was a doctor, and you would literally learn from them and steward under them and be a physician. But now you can literally be whoever you want to be because you can just Google click it and find it out and do it. It's just crazy. And so we have so many self-help books and so much education, and literally we could take every opportunity but potentially accomplish nothing with our lives. But imagine with me for a second, what if your life could look like, imagine what your life could look like if nothing was hindering you from walking boldly, confidently, and powerfully in your God-given calling. The salt and the light, just like Jesus. Boldness because you do it even if you're unsure how it looks. Confidence because you know who is with you. 
and power because you're connected to the source. Somebody say source. You're connected to the source. And so the difference, this is the difference between the gospel and culture. See, gospel is the antithesis to these six spiritual barriers. The gospel is the antithesis. It's a counter-argument to these barriers that keep believers from being the salt and the light. Number one, this is why. Because the fear of God is greater than the fear of man. What will God think? Not what will man think. I wonder if we replaced this sentence. What will they think with what will God think in every situation, in every decision? Like in every, in, every, in every decision that we approach in life. Oh man, they're really not gonna like it if I do that. But wait, I think this will please God. I think this will make him happy. I think this will put a smile on his face. Like if you approached every single decision that you made in this life and you use this formula, fear of God is greater than the fear of man, I promise you this, that at the end of the day, you would rest your head upon the pillow and you'd be able to sleep at night. Because your calling is rooted in something much greater. Your purpose is coming from somewhere much higher. You're not concerned about them or her, or he or anyone. You're concerned about what is the will of my Lord in heaven. The fear of God is greater than the fear of man. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the OT, 27 in the New T. And the word, the word, the phrase fear not occurs how many times? 150 times, 365 times. See, the people, people say this. No, you maybe, maybe you heard that. People say 365 times. That's true. There is phrases that say fear not 365 times, but half of those ones are like, for example, like fear not, good sir, because don't, fear not for tomorrow, for today you're going to die. Like it's really weird like that. So it's like it's, some of them are just totally out of context. So yeah, 365 phrases, but, three, but 150 phrases for fear not for the Lord is with you. And it's always parallel. Like if you, look at, if you look at the fear not, fear not, fear not, you'll always see somewhere in that same orbit, somewhere in that same vicinity, it's always because fear not for God is with you. Isn't that amazing? So the call for every person to fear not is because God is, is with us. We don't need to fear. And this is the thing. You can, you, can, you can understand it like this. You can understand it as a command. Fear not! Right? It's a command like, don't fear! Or... You can understand it as an invitation. Fear not. For daddy's right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look at that. An invitation versus a command. And it's an invitation. And this is, this is interesting. I, I shared this story a while back. But my, my, my nephew, Beckett, he just loves, he, he was really scared when he first started playing baseball, right? He got really scared. He, he, he loved playing baseball, but he got scared when he actually came down to going out on the field and playing a real game, right? And so his mom put him in the sport, and he was real nervous. And he said, Uncle Colby, he said, Uncle Colby, Uncle Colby, can you come out with me? And can you just come out in the field with me? And I, I said, sure, I can, little buddy. I said, I'll, I'll, say, I'll come out with you. And so, you know, it takes me coming out the field with you to, for you to feel comfortable and feel safe and feel okay and secure. Sure, I can do that. And um, so I was like, okay, let's do it. So I went out there, and, you know, sure enough, some people's parents are like, well, that kid looks a little big for his age, you know what I mean? So that kid a little, yeah, yeah, anyway. But uh, so the practice started, right? And I walk out in the field with him, and he starts warming up, and I'm just standing next to him, and just, you know, just, and, and after a while, he looks at me, and he says, Uncle Colby, he's like, you can go stand over there now. You know, after he gets comfortable, he feels safe. He's like, you can go, you can go over there now. I feel a little better. 
But I was like, he's like, I want you to go stand just over there so I, can, so I can see you. Because if I see you, I'll be okay. Right? So he wanted me to feel, feel, he wanted to feel close to me still. And so you and I are children of God. And we're going we're gonna to be scared. But if our dad goes with us, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Culture says, be very afraid. But the gospel says, fear not, for God is with you. He put his spirit inside of you. His spirit lives in you. He put his son on earth to die for you. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died the death that we all deserved, but he substituted his righteousness for our failure and our sin and he took it upon himself on the cross and he substituted and he gave us his righteousness that we might be the righteousness of God. And so he's with us every step of the way and when the world is terribly afraid, the Christian should take confidence, can take confidence knowing that God is with us and that we don't need to be afraid. And so we replace the fear of man with the fear of God, and that allows us to be what? To be faithful, to be obedient to what God is calling us towards, to be bold as salt and as light, because what is important is the fear of God in me. And look at this, number two, God's perfection is greater than my imperfection. This voice says, I am holy and righteous, not inadequate and imperfect. I am holy and righteous because what? Because we who believed in Jesus have become the righteousness of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I don't need to, I don't need to give any lie sympathy, never, because God's verdict is what? When I think I'm blameless, when I think I'm shame-filled, when I think I'm not good enough, when I think I'm just, I can't do it, and I'm able and not worthy and unvaluable, God says, I want this person in my family. I'll do anything to get them in my family. I'll pay for them to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks. That's amazing, off-the-charts, incredible love that the verdict of God over your life is righteous, blameless, spotless, guiltless, innocent, perfect, holy, redeemed. That is the verdict and promise of God over your life. Why are you sympathizing with a lie? If God spoke it, so be it. There it is. It's done. It's sealed in the courts of heaven. Yet you and I are frothing and going back and forth between what we should do and what we should believe in, the lies and the truths that we should believe in. And God says, this is my verdict. It's the verdict of God. Who are you to say anything else? Who are you to dispute it? Who are you to say you're not worthy of going to heaven or you or he are not worthy? Who are you to say anything? God's verdict is already decided. It's already been done. And so don't give sympathy to a lie because the verdict of God is so much more superior. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. This is a verse that, that Paul speaks directly and wonderfully into our struggles with inadequacy, into our struggles and fears. And in a few ways, he says the gospel reminds us that, yeah, we are inadequate human beings because it was in our interest, it was for our sake if we were already righteous and holy and spotless, then we wouldn't, he wouldn't need to work on our behalf. But because he's working our, on our behalf, it shows that we are insufficient. But that's not the end of the story. There is a lack, but the gospel reminds us that all that was and is, that Jesus, who he was, he will be adequate because he cast all our insufficiency and inadequacy on Jesus, the Son. So that for us, 
in Jesus that we have the perfection, we have the adequacy of God, that he took it upon himself to substitute our imperfection for his righteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God. And then the gospel reminds us that our glory is not being adequate, but being in Christ. It's about being in him. Enato is the, is, the, is the Greek phrase. And so check this out. This is really cool because not only does God replace, right, our imperfection with his perfection, our unrighteousness with his righteousness, but what does he also do? He also redeems the stupid decisions that we make. How many of you here, have put up your hand if you made a stupid decision before. Just something that you, just, you knew you shouldn't have done. You did it anyway, but it was just, it was just stupid, right? Like we, I mean, I'm still, I'm making these decisions all the time. It's stupidity, right? It's, we can have a stupidity party up in here. Woo! Because God's going to redeem it, amen? No, no, this is an amazing thing. So many times in my life, I have made a terrible, poor, just awful decision. And then I see later on, I repent, I ask for forgiveness, and God redeems it for his glory. It is absolutely incredible. Like, it's just amazing. It's the sovereignty of God. It's the power and beauty and sovereignty of God over your life. Romans 8.28 says this. You've heard of it before. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, not the good things, not the things that are kind of on the fence or iffy. It says all things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The things that I wish I never would have done or said the things that I, the biggest boo-boos that I've made in my life, the biggest boo-boos, God is redeeming that. It's amazing. Somebody, somebody look to your neighbor and say boo-boo. There you go. The biggest boo-boos. God is redeeming that. It's amazing. What the enemy, look at this. And the, in the Genesis says, Joseph and his brothers, right? Joseph was sold into slavery, right? He was sold to Egypt, and then he became, he, was, he went into prison, and he had just a terrible, terrible time, and then all of a sudden, God elevates Joseph into the palace, from the prison to the palace, and he follows, he's following God, and he's praying to God, and his brothers come back, and he finally meets his brothers, and there's this, there's this whole scene, this whole narrative in, in, in Genesis, where this is all happening, and he meets his brothers, and he finally, they're reconciled, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for selling you into slavery all those years ago, sorry, good old Canadian, sorry. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to run with it. I'm not, I'm not losing it. I'm not losing it. I'm going to keep my act. I'm going to retain my Canadianisms. So they're like, we're, we're so, we apologize. We apologize. We're just so apologetic for selling you into slavery. And then guess what? He says this. He says, don't worry. Don't worry because what you intended for evil, God intended for good for the saving of many people even other people's decisions to harm you, even other people's decisions that are stupid. Look at this. This is how good God is. This is how good God is. It's not just my stupidity. It's the people around me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's the stupidity around me. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can harm you if it's, if it's within the purposes of God for your life. Listen, everything, all things are working for your good. Even other people's harm, moral harm and moral just evil against you, that thing, God is redeeming. He is redeeming. He is purifying. He's going to do something incredible with it. And so you can go forth in confidence knowing that you are more than enough and you can shine brightly. You can shine brightly. Be bold. There's an incredible flavor to your life that this world desperately needs. And the third one here is God's sufficiency. Let's put this up. God's sufficiency 
over human sufficiency. This voice says, God is enough. God is enough. Our culture says it's dependent on me, myself, my supply, my performance. But this goes from self-dependent to God-dependent. That we need to relegate self and put God in the middle of the equation. See, God, I love what Piper says. He says, John Piper, if you're familiar with him, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Because we put God in the middle of the equation. We've made God the joy. We've made God the great pearl of great price. We've put God in the center. See, you'll shine when you, you, you this is it. You may, keep, you may shine, but if you don't have the oil of his supply, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out because you're more focused on your flame, which is the production, rather than his oil, which is the supply. Somebody just give me some more supply. You just give me some more oil. I'll burn all night. I'll produce everything I need to produce because it's not in my own strength, it's in his strength who provides, who's the provider. Look at this. There's a story in the Gospel of Matthew called the parable of the ten virgins. I love this parable because it says, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but not, did not take any what? Any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves but while they were on their way to buy oil the bridegroom arrived the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut later the others also came lord lord they said open the door for us next slide but he replied truly i tell you i don't know you therefore keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour there's also a parallel version where it says that many were saying to me that day, Lord, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord. Do you look at the language? The language is very similar. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name do all great signs and wonders and miracles in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You didn't have the oil inside of you. You didn't have my spirit inside of you, empowering you, filling you with strength, filling you with, with holiness, filling you with, with conviction, filling you with, with righteousness, filling you with a, with a hope, with a faith. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit inside of us which empowers us to live lives of, of productivity, to live lives that aren't running dry. And so many people want to build their own platforms, but if they're focused on shining their light for everyone to see, but they're not focused on burning or finding the oil for their lamps. You are going to run dry. You are going to run out. And if you focus on the oil, if you focus on honoring and stewarding and actively releasing the presence of God in your life, then he will make sure that your lamp is light on fire. He will make sure that your lamp is set on a stand for all to see. He will make sure that everybody will see the light that you're offering because it's not you, it's in him. It's in his light. It's in his oil. And so religion says do, but Jesus says done. It's not about my performance or my dependency, but it's on what God has done 
for me on my behalf. He has put his spirit inside of me. His son has died for me. Everything that I need for this walk of Christian faith, it's all supplied for me. But I just need to ask him for more oil. I need to be dependent on him. And then fourthly, why many of us aren't being the salt and the light? Well, we need to put action over comfort. We need to put action over comfort. So this voice says, I must act even if it means I'm uncomfortable, right? So in other words, Jonah, you need to act because action and obedience is more important than your comfort, is more important than your comfort. And this again is reminding me by James chapter one, verse 22. It says, do not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do what it says, be obedient. It's not enough to know, you need to activate it. God wants to activate it inside of you. He wants you to engage with it. He wants you to activate it. And we live in this age of information overload. But if you could just act upon 1% of the information that you receive, it would radically change the trajectory of your life. 1% of all the information that you consume. If you would just act on that 1%, it would literally change everything for you. Don't be simply hearers of the word. Don't be consumers, but do what it says consumerism i hate it. i don't like consumer everyone's consuming stuff these days everybody just trying to get something out of somebody else and it's driving the world crazy because if more people would just give right it's blessed more blessed to give than to receive it's more blessed the blessing is in giving not in consuming right and if you do consume it's with the intention to what to give to bless to restore and then lastly purpose i need to put purpose over opportunity this is a big one if i just try to be and do all things to all people and and try to be everything that i could be with my life and man i want to be an entrepreneur i'm going to go start a business i want to i want to i want to go and start my own company on my own organization i want to go plant a church i want to go do this i want to be a songwriter i want to be a singer i want to be an actress i want to do this and that i want to be everything that i can possibly be with my life i don't want to miss nothing because i got fomo how many of you got FOMO in here? I know somebody does. Oh, somebody, if you're honest, somebody's got the FOMO. Somebody's got the fear of missing out. Maybe that's you here tonight. But if you got the FOMO, God wants you to know something. If you would just follow my purpose for your life, you wouldn't miss out on anything. Purpose is so much more important than potential. You could do a lot of stuff with your life, but it isn't, if it isn't in the will of God for your life, you have wasted your life. You could be everything that you want it to be, but if it isn't in the will of God for your life, you've lost out. You could do this. You could be the greatest actress. You could be the greatest book writer. You could sell New York's best time sellers. You could, you could do it all. But if it isn't in the will of God for your life, you've lost out. You've lost out. Jesus said this. He died at 33 years old. He started his ministry at 30 years old. He was a rising star. There was a lot of stuff he could have gotten done. A lot more work that could have happened through the rest of his life. He lived three years and he changed the world because he says, this is why I have come. He began to teach them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. Jesus didn't come to fulfill his potential. 
he came to fulfill his purpose. If some of us would just get this in our head, that we don't have to do it all and be it all, we just have to do what God told me to do. And he would bless it. And he would honor it. And we would be released to be the salt and the light of the earth. Because we're doing the thing that we are created to do, designed to do, made to do, not want to do, not maybe could do, but the thing that he has designed me to do. And I'm faithful. And I'm obedient. And I'm walking in the light. And I'm believing in what he's called me to do. And I'm going forward one step at a time. And I will close with this one. John chapter, chapter 12, verse 27 through 36. Look what happens. Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. So where is he right now, right? He's troubled, right? There's a place called Gethsemane, right? He didn't want to go to Gethsemane because Gethsemane was on the way to the cross. And so he says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, what purpose? For this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, what's he talking about? He's talking about his crucifixion on the cross. When he's lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ would remain forever. They're saying, we have heard that you, that you wouldn't die, that you would live forever, right? And he says, how can you say that, they say, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. That you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The band can come up here. He said that we can become sons of light. There's only one opportunity in this life to be a son and daughter of light. There's only one chance. You have one life. You have one breath. You have one opportunity. You have one chance. You, you don't get to do this thing over again twice. That there is one life that God has blessed you with, and we are called to be salt and light. We are called to make a difference. We are, are called to sacrifice, to serve, to let something inside of us shine, and it's called the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity over your life because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And maybe tonight you you haven't received the Holy Spirit before. Maybe you're wondering what the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you're wondering what this whole thing is called, called Jesus or faith or Christianity. Maybe that's new to you. I don't know. But if it's new to you, I would love to talk with you. I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love what it, to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is what will radically change your life in this world. It will change everything that you thought you needed or will.
man who is worthy of me must deny himself and pair up his cross and pick it up. It's about self-denial. It's about laying down the things I want so that I can follow him and be a light and be a difference and be a changer. I want to be a changer. I want to be a, a shaker. I want, I want to move things and see things happen and see God move and, and see his hand poured out and see him part seas. And I want to see things happen in my life. I want to see miracles happen. But it starts with surrender. It starts with obedience. It starts with saying, God, I trust what you have to think and say over what I have to think or say. I trust in action over comfort. I, I believe in, in, in purpose over potential. I, I, I trust and know that you are making a way even when there appears to be no way, God. I, I believe that, that you're sufficient even in my de deficiency and in my insufficiency, that you're there for me, that you're providing for me, that you're making a way for me. I don't need to be afraid of what he says or she says or my own insecurities, my own inadequacies, because I know that you made up for the difference. And even my short and my lack, and you're still redeeming it and you're still overcoming it and you're so good and so faithful. And I'm just following you with the little I have in my lamp and the little oil in my hand right now. And I know you're going to make and multiply and you're going to be able to produce and do stuff that I couldn't do in my own strength and power because you're so holy and so perfect and so powerful that you can make miracles happen just with an extension of my hand, just with me giving you my bread and my fish and my loaves and you can multiply and feed thousands. God, what can you do with the little I have? Just fill me with the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's asking you right now, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit in this moment. He's going to do stuff in your life. He's going to shake things up and give you so much power and you're going to change the world. Of your spirit, the power that is found in your presence. 